He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, October 22, 2022. That's a spectacular date with a lot of twos in it. Joined here in the studio by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Welcome, troubadour. Thanks, Greg. I have sort of a special show. Do you want to hear all about it? I do. I'm on the edge of my seat. How about my week? Can I start off by telling you I was in the New York Times? I think I pointed that out to you, New York Times reader that you are, but generally only on Sundays, right? I hope they wrote a whole profile and had your picture. No, it was uh, the rise of a conservative radio juggernaut. Mm -hmm. It was about Salem. And a lot of the things we talk about on the podcast, check it out, New York Times. They quoted me extensively and accurately, and uh, you got to like that. So you were discussing what you call, uh, not necessarily lovingly, Trump radio. I did. They did not quote me on that exactly, but I was there when I watched Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy interact with the bosses at Salem Media in our nation's capital. My son Sam was there. I'd spent the previous day at the White House, and I was hobbing and nobbing, but I'll tell you this week, I did some of that Wednesday evening at the BMH Synagogue. National Council of Jewish Women put on a candidate's forum, and I attended, as I have many times in the past. Why weren't you there? Well, <laughs> who was there? Hardly anybody. Really? I mean, I've hard. I've, who spoke? Oh my gosh! It, it, first of all, I met the treasurer candidates, both of whom I'd met before. Lang Sias, I knew through Bob Beaupre, who's a good friend. Lang was just fascinating to speak with. And our subject this week, to tease the show a little bit, our title is Silence is Sinful. And I want to talk about anti-Semitism. And I have Joe O'Day as my special guest, along with former Colorado State Senator and current Colorado State Board member Steve Durham, because he had some things to say about Nazis and current events. So I have those two spectacular guests. And then I have Rabbi Ryan's, his sermon, not live, but he gave me permission because, my gosh, Dave Gunders, the Kol Nidre speech he gave. But back to Wednesday night, Lang Sias, who's a decent guy, a solid Republican, he and Dave Young, the current treasurer, the Democrat, they got on the Bema, the stage at BMH, and they were gentlemen with each other. And I spoke to them both extensively in uh, the large but pretty empty social hall. And they're just decent human beings, one a Democrat, one a Republican. And it just reminded me of the good old days. Then I met Adam Frisch. Oh. I, yeah, he I, was there. Right. From the West Slope. Yes. He was in from Aspen, asked if anybody voted in the third congressional 
district, and of course, nobody was there for that. But he came, and he knew about synagogues, and he and I spoke, and he had some colorful pants on. I took pictures. I posted one or two. Phil Weiser was there, of course. That's no surprise. He's at home in a synagogue. John Kellner, he did not show up. But Michael Bennett, our current U.S. senator, was there, and so was Joe O'Day. And my gosh, I think I told you a little about that story. Joe O'Day, I met his wife, Celeste. She's beautiful. My God, they've been married over 30 years, almost as beautiful as our wives. She is Mexican-American. I'm outraged about anti-Semitism coming out of the mouths of Kanye West, Donald Trump, others, and I said, will any Republicans speak out against this? Lang Sias told me that his family is Jewish. He met his wife in Israel. They say Shabbat Shalom too and celebrate every Shabbat. I didn't know that about Lang Sias. Dave Young, he's not Jewish, he's Irish, but he's an educator. And he talked to me movingly about all of this. But it's Joe O'Day who's my target, Dave Gunders, because I love this show and I like to make news and I'd like to be part of this debate involving anti-Semitism. Somebody has to speak out, somebody on the Republican side. When the president of the United States, and we talked about this on our walk, he said, American Jews better be more like evangelicals, be more loyal to me, or... Before it's too late, that's what he said. Right, whatever that means. Right, and and he said the same thing to Joe O'Day, who was on CNN, and Dana Bash, who happens to be Jewish, asked, hey, uh, are you going to support Donald Trump? And Joe said, no, I don't think he should run again. And then Trump put out a social post, not just against the Jews, he put out another one against Joe O'Day, same sort of thing. You better be loyal or else. And I don't like that mobsterism. You know that about me, Dave Gunders. Do you like it? Well, that's the kind of guy Trump is. I mean, it's just predictable that um, that's that's his way. You have you're loyal. You know he 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 demands that fealty, or he cuts you off. It is mobsterism. That's authoritarianism too. <clears throat> yeah, that's what Putin does. If you watch sixty minutes last week, it'll make you cry. Buka families getting killed. Why? Why? Because they won't bow down before Vlad Putin. I mean, that's what it's taken to. And now Lauren Boebert talking about end times. I'm no expert on the New Testament, but here's how it goes for you and me, David. We all gather in Israel, and then if we don't accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's pretty much over for us. Okay. I thought that's when the party just began. Well, if he comes down the street, you know, about 20 feet off the ground, I don't know. Let me see what it looks like then. And we used to be able to joke about it. Okay, these guys support Israel. Trump supports Israel. So do the evangelicals. Who cares if they have this crazy conspiracy theory, plot, prophecy in mind? They're helping Israel. What could go wrong? Wait. You know who spoke about it beautifully? You know this guy. Rick Rines, Mm -hmm. Rabbi at Temple Sinai. I've never heard a sermon like this. I mean, I've been to my share of big high holiday services. 
Why don't you sh- save up your best speech for that? It's like your big show, right? It is the big show. Right. It's the annual. It's it tops the sermons of the year, no doubt. Yeah, that's when all the well, that's when people like me actually come to to temple. Right. Yeah. And he used it, and mm-hmm. now it's all on Facebook. And he gave me permission to play it. His speech silence is sinful. He watched that Ken Burns special, and he got a little angry. And he names names like Krista Kafer and Nader Hashemi in our community. I've never heard a rabbi quite do that. And this is before Kanye and Donald Trump went up. You're our musician. What about Kanye West? What's going on there? Have you been following his declaration of going Deathcom three against the Jews? Yes, and and you'll have to. Can you explain to me? Shed some light. What is Deathcon? Where did that come from? I, I think I had not heard Deathcon three. I think he meant Deathcon three. So it was a a, a missed statement by him. Okay, D E F C O N is what he meant to say, but he tweeted Deathcon. But what is Deathcon? And in his defense, he said, "I am sleepy," but I think the Jews are. You know, then he went off after the Jews. It just, you know, whenever you say death in Jews, it's just not a good concept. Yeah, anyway. Do you yeah. know why he's mad at the Jews? I have no idea, no. Well, he's mentally ill. That That's part of it. But did you know about he broke up with Kim Kardashian, his wife, his mother of his children? You know who she went with? No, since him? Yes. Who she replaced him with? Pete Davidson from oh. Saturday Night Live. Do you know him? Is he a Jewish guy? His dad was Jewish, but his mom, I guess, wasn't, and he went to Catholic school. I'm not sure what he is, but right. I have a feeling Kanye says that dirty Jew about Pete Davidson yeah. being with his wife. I, just a hunch. Kanye, Maybe he's mad about that. He's a troubled character and a troubling and, character. And, and yeah. Pete Davidson's yeah. a little troubled because his dad, who was a firefighter, died on 9-11. Did that, you know that? That I did know, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you know about the big event in the musical world to one of my all-time favorites? Sort of a sad story. Who's the most powerful musical rock and roll couple ever? Ever. Uh, I was going to say Sonny and Cher. Well, that's close. That's <laughs> yeah. close. But I think yeah. these two sold more records oh, combined. Oh, it would Blake, Blake and, and uh, Blake. No, and, think no. back in our day. Well, oh. this is still your day. No offense to me or you, but... You know a guy named James Taylor? And who's his counterpart there? He was married to Carly Simon there right. for a while. Right, for a little while, right. Right, and right. they were both megastars. I'm not saying it lasted like right. forever. Right, but right, He was the clouds in her coffee. Do you know much about Carly Simon? I like her. Uh, yeah. Good yeah. artist, yeah. But what yeah. do you know about her and her family? No, I don't know anything. Sadly, she had two beautiful sisters, older sister and opera mm. star. The other sister, I think Lucy, sang with her, the Simon sisters. They were part of the Simon and Schuster family, happened to be Jewish. Okay. Her two sisters have died within the last two days of cancer. Oh, my God. Both her beautiful musician sisters. Our best to Carly Simon. Absolutely. God, she was sexy, wasn't she? Yeah, I haven't seen her lately. Yeah, she's no. in her 80s now. And wow. it's just sad yeah. to think about that. So let's talk about your song, because it's sort of a sad song too, but so beautiful, haunting, strangers in a strange land. 
that Ken Burns documentary, there's footage of the passengers on the Spirits of St. Louis. And remember, Billy Joel's family got out on a different boat. Part of his family was allowed to get off in Havana. Others were on the St. Louis, went back, faced death, experienced death. Parts of his family, another musical lineage, your family, your dad, who got out of Germany just in time, Dave Gunders, did that inspire Strangers in a Strange Land? What a beautiful song. I was written for refugees all over the world, and um, I was just trying to put myself in the place of a, of a family, particularly through the eyes of a father, trying to hold his family together, you know, le- but leaving his home and um, wondering how he was going to uh, provide for his family and running into, into hatred and distrust, um, not knowing where they were going to sleep that night. So I, I wrote that song for refugees. I know, but how poignant for our people and what we went through during the Holocaust. And to hear a rabbi like Rabbi Rhines, and we will soon play parts of his sermon right at the outset, followed by my interview with Steve Durham, followed by my third interview with Joe O'Day, who goes pretty far condemning Donald Trump's bigotry, but not all the way. These are dire times. We need Republican allies. Joe O'Day is a good man. I wish he would go further. I need people to stand up because I watched that Ken Burns special. You have a line in here, Dave Gunders, about the tracks, trains get involved. How can we get the hell out of here? And the trains that the Jewish people tried to get out and then ultimately trains that took them to death. And then the docks. I talked about the spirit of St. Louis, but your imagery in this song, and just like I enjoy Billy Joel, there's keyboard in this song. How did you come up with that as a guitar player? Well, I had I had the line, the musical line that goes throughout, and thought it would be wonderful played on a piano. So I asked my buddy, Mark DeVere, to play the piano on that song. It's gorgeous. Sarah sings on that. My older daughter sings on that as well. And that line about the people look at us with hatred. Right. And this is a lesson for me and others. If people are fleeing a horrible situation such as in Venezuela, but honestly, for the first time in my life hearing this song, I was thinking about us as refugees. I mean, God forbid it ever gets to that point in America. Anti-Semites take over, authoritarians, and the two always go together. Have you thought about that in America? I mean, the refusal of the GOP to stand up and condemn Donald Trump. Joe O'Day goes part of the way. I don't know why he has to bring Biden into it, and Biden said this. or Well, you'll hear the interview. Thanks, Joe, for coming on. I mean, I was throwing softballs for him to hit home runs. And there could be headlines. I even sent him. I'd like headlines. Prominent Republican candidate rips Donald Trump for his anti-Semitism. But he doesn't go quite that far. Still appreciate the effort and the interview. And then there's Steve Durham interview. Let me tell you, Dave Gunders, having this set up. I got his number. 
And uh, I called and I asked if he would be on the podcast and he said he would. And I was prepared to really, I didn't know how to approach it. And that's part of what I'm doing with Rabbi Ryans and Scott Levin from the ADL, who was a big part of that show the other day. I want to fight anti-Semitism, but I want to do it in a smart way. And nobody likes getting slapped around the face. That's not going to convince anybody. So you'll hear I established common ground with Steve Durham, and we have mutual friends, and the guy supported me apparently when I ran for DA in 1996. We have a lot of the same values, and he explained to me where he was coming from and why he thought it was important to associate socialism with uh, the Nazis. You know why? It's just in their name. There was nothing socialist about them. Well, he said there's some economic socialism. I don't even know what that means. Well, uh, maybe they they had some collectives, whatever. But I told him, I'm thinking more about human rights, Bill of Rights type freedom. Who ever heard of Nazi collectives anyway? Well, but they, (laughs) right, I told him, I think they just took over a party with that name in it. Right. and And it doesn't mean that they... And obviously, they opposed the communists, so come on. It's not as if leftists don't do crappy things. It's just that the right desperately wants to disassociate with Nazis. But you know what? Then do it. Get rid of them. Don't have a president who tells the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, right? I mean, come on. Come on. We're calling it the way it is. Communists have big problems. And Lenin, oh my God, Stalin, those guys. Anyway, Troubadour, before we play Strangers in a Strange Land, when you think about our tiny little group of people, Karl Marx was born a Jew, right? Right. Communism. The Rothschilds really kind of created capitalism with bond market and all of that. They were Jews. Well, that's, yeah, whether that was a blessing on Judaism or not, I, I can't say. It seems like it was more fodder for, you know, some of the, some, some of the prongs of anti-Semitism, right? Right. Well, we're going to listen to your song, and yeah. then we're going to listen to Rabbi Reins, who points out that anti-Semitism comes from the left and the right. And yet we've never had a former president participate. That's what's got me on edge. Thanks for tuning in today. Here's the program. You can skip ahead if you want, but you're going to miss a beautiful song, Strangers in a Strange Land with Sarah singing back up. It is magnificent. Give it a listen. Then Rabbi Reins, I play a little of his sermon with my commentary, and then we're going to play the interview with former state senator Steve Durham, followed by my latest interview with Joe O'Day. At the back end, we'll play the sermon by Rabbi Rhines in its entirety. The title, Silence is Sinful. That's the title of this episode. Thanks, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. Thanks. Just look at us now, look what we've become We're refugees, looking all around We're not the only ones Plenty more I see, walk along the tracks 
gonna face the fact Better get your things I tell my mother uh, We ain't coming back And it's one by one Doing what I can
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman. A voice for victims. Here's what you should know about our rabbi at Temple Sinai. Rick Rines is a superstar. He's outspoken. He's smart. He shares my sensibilities. He watched the Ken Burns special. He reacted. And he does it from a much more knowledgeable basis. He understands Jewish history and Torah. And Kol Nidre night is the most important night of the most important day, and it's Yom Kippur. We confess our sins. Normally, we do the Bidui. We give up hateful thoughts, hateful words. We apologize for bad words we have spoken. And then the rabbi gives his sermon. This sermon, a few weeks ago, before Donald Trump's anti-Semitic social posting before Kanye West went off DEFCOM 3 against the Jews, it felt like the anti-Semitism was growing, so much so that the rabbi, Rick Rines, gave a speech in which he declared, in the wake of all this anti-Semitism, silence is sinful. It didn't work back in the day to stave off the Holocaust. American Jews were too silent, too many of them, and we will never again be so. Listen to the way that Rabbi Ryan starts his sermon on Kol Nidre night. The Vidui touches so often on the words we say, the words we did not say. So I want to address tonight the obvious. Words have power, and so does silence. 
We each can point to scores of instances where words have inspired and informed, soothed and delighted. We also know that words have caused great hurt. And silence in reaction to hurtful words adds insult to injury. You may be familiar with the hep, hep chant of the German Nazis as they marched threateningly through Jewish neighborhoods. But what is the meaning of hep, hep? Hep is an acronym from the Latin, Jerusalema est perdita. Jerusalem is lost. It was originally chanted by Roman soldiers in the year 70, during and after the destruction of Jerusalem. For the Romans, there was certainly no difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. They knew that the destruction of Jerusalem, the burning of the temple, and the conquering of Judea was an attempt to eradicate the Jewish people. They even changed the name of the province from Judea to Palestina. It is for that very reason that the Hep Hep chant was revised by university students in the Bavarian city of Würzburg in August 1819. It quickly spread among other anti-Semitic groups and eventually became popular with the Nazis and their followers. In Charlottesville, those Nazi chants were repeated and updated. Far-right thugs marched and lifted their arms in Nazi salute while chanting Sieg Heil, blood and soil, Jews will not replace us. And we also see that there are radical leftists harassing Jews on college campuses throughout this country with their own chants against Jews and Israel. The pro-Palestinian chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's a direct descendant from the Nazi cry in Germany calling for their land to be Judenrein, a land cleansed of Jews. Those who chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, might consider themselves progressive. But what they are calling for is for Israel to be wiped out along with seven million Jews who live there. They are advocating for a repeat of the Holocaust, and then, wow, he gets personal. I used to work with Krista Kafer, never liked her attitude toward Israel. Took note of her travels to countries that do not like Israel. It's a political issue, and as Rabbi Rhines pointed out, the problems for Israel come from the left and the right. Krista Kafer has been a problem. She was my talk radio colleague. She still does a lot of punditry and commentary, not her Hashemi used to be on Chuck and Julie's show. Chuck and Julie on the far right. I'm not sure of the politics of Professor Hashemi, but he always seems to have Israel in his crosshairs. And that may mean the Jewish people. It does, according to this powerful sermon by Rabbi Rick Rhines. It doesn't matter that these lies are so far-fetched and ridiculous. There are tens of thousands of people who are influenced by them. 
And those lies are even created and perpetrated here in Denver at a university just down the street. Just a few weeks ago, Professor Nader Hashemi, University of Denver Professor of International Affairs and the director of the University Center for Middle East Studies, speculated on a podcast that the attack against Salman Rushdie was likely orchestrated by Jews, the Israeli Mossad. Now, as you know, Salman Rushdie, an internationally acclaimed novelist, has been under an Iranian death threat for decades. He had other attempts against his life, as Muslim extremists try to avenge what they believe is Rushdie's blasphemous book, Satanic Verses. On August 12, just a few weeks ago, a 24-year-old Muslim, Hadi Matar, was arrested at the scene after a stabbing attack that nearly killed Rushdie. And yet Professor Hashemi, who teaches college students, but blocks from here, he put the blame on Israel for the attack. This is a man who's the director of the Middle East Studies, and he's a conspiratorial. He's a conspiratorialist, which is a lot easier to read than to say. <laughs> he believes in conspiracies. Al-Khid. But he's just like Goebbels. He manipulates the media and gullible students to blame Jews. Now here's where it gets even more infuriating. Scott Levin of the ADL along with other Jewish leaders, protested against Hashemi. Then, Denver Post columnist Krista Kafer, she rebuked the ADL in her column. She accused the ADL and Jews of stifling Professor Hashemi's freedom of speech. Imagine that. According to Kafer, it's perfectly acceptable for a professor to promote conspiratorial hate against Israel and Jews, but it is not acceptable for Jews to speak up in defense of our defamation. We have no right to protest, according to her. Well, if she can use her column to protect anti-Semites and rebuke Jews and Hashemi, can use his classes and the media to attack Israel with outrageous lies and theories, well then at the very least, I can use this pulpit to warn our community that there are anti-Semites and anti-Zionists who are not just uninformed and inconsequential misfits in faraway places, but rather they are found on campuses in the media running sophisticated organizations and they are in our backyard. Jewish people do not like to be liable, defamed. We are a tiny group. We feel threatened when the former president of the United States goes off and the Jews better change before it's too late. Lauren Boebert is talking about end times. Same with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Where does this go? I talk about it with Steve Durham. It comes from the far right. And I talked with former state senator and Colorado State Board of Education member. That's coming up. I hope he watches Ken Burns' special, understands the Republican Party was enamored of the America First movement back before World War II, Charles Lindbergh. 
that hateful father Coughlin dominating the radio. Henry Ford financing it all, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, the Dearborn Independent. It led Adolf Hitler to believe that America would be his ally against the Jews, and maybe some of them would have been. But then Japan struck Pearl Harbor. Franklin Roosevelt said we were at war. Germany got into it. And thank God we were on the right side of history. You can't take anything for granted, including in this country. Not with what's going on now. I'm proud to have a rabbi like Rick Rines. This is the way he ended this speech. The entirety of this speech is available on our YouTube page and at the end of this show. But listen to this powerful finish in which he declares silence is sinful. Millions, like my family and yours, chose to come here to the United States for the blessings of this amazing country, the blessings of freedom and liberty and opportunity. But as I mentioned earlier, even here in this great country, we have been harassed by anti-Semitism. And as bad as it is now, it was even worse just a few decades ago. Like many of you, I was mesmerized by the recent showing on PBS of Ken Burns' three-part documentary on the United States and the Holocaust. If you haven't seen it, I hope you do soon. It's a unique an important piece. It focuses on American culture and society, our leaders and our people, before and during the Holocaust. What is demonstrated is that the refusal of the American government to rescue Jews from Europe was in keeping with the rampant anti-Semitism in this country during that period. The State Department, led by Cordell Hull and the notorious Breckenridge Long used every wicked trick in the book to keep desperate Jewish refugees out of the United States. They resigned in disgrace only in 1944 when the world learned how their misdeeds, their lies, led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands. Too many politicians and bureaucrats turned their backs on Jews because anti-Semitism was an acceptable prejudice in America. Anti-Semitism was made mainstream by people like Father Coughlin, who in the 1930s had a radio show that reached tens of millions with his rantings and hatred of Jews. Anti-Semitism was strengthened by the vicious articles against Jews published by Henry Ford in his Dearborn Weekly newspaper. Ford's publication reached more people than all but one newspaper in the United States in the 1920s. And it was his paper that reprinted the notorious Protocols of the Elders of Zion, even though it was already widely known to be an anti-Semitic forgery from Russia. And anti-Semitism gained even more acceptability when the American aviator and celebrity Charles Lindbergh gave speeches around this country backing Germany and warning against Jews who were agitating against the Nazis. As anti-Semitism was rising and the Nazis increased in power, some rabbis and other leaders raised their voices. They held rallies and organized protests. But too many other rabbis and Jewish leaders 
taught that the best policy was to be quiet, to hide from the threats. They counseled silence. They thought that if we were quiet, the bullies would go away. But the bullies did not go away. The counsel of silence is disaster. We look back on that time and thoughtful people shudder that we are seeing many of the same sins of hatred arise in our own day. It is this fear that prompted Jonathan Greenblatt, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, to write his important book, It Could Happen Here. It can happen here. The rise of anti-Semitism from the extreme right and the radical left is making it happen here. Attacks against Jews on the streets and on campuses are higher now than at any time since the Holocaust. And I, for one, will not be silent. And I pray that you will not be silent either. I don't want us to indulge in the game of victim competition with other groups that are singled out for attacks by racists and bigots. But you'll be hard-pressed to find or name one other group other than Jews who are attacked both by racists and bigots on the right and the left. So I suppose we do win. Since we are attacked by both sides, you might think that Jews are protected by such noble policies as diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. It's an initiative that is being promoted at schools, government agencies, institutions, and businesses around the country. The effort to ensure fairness of opportunity for all people, regardless of the color of their skin, gender, ethnic background, religious faith, or sexual identification, is both noble and praiseworthy. And I support those initiatives full-heartedly. However, those of you who are in schools and institutions that are engaging in DEI programs, you've probably discovered something that diversity, equity, and inclusion rarely, if ever, includes Jews. But how could it not include Jews? That's the subject of David Bedell's book, Jews Don't Count. While he primarily focused on the situation in England, his conclusion fits the situation here in the United States, namely, that since Jews are considered white, and white is a majority culture, safe and empowered, Jews do not suffer from diversity, equity, and inclusion problems. Of course, in light of the escalating attacks of violent anti-Semitism in both the United States and England, such an exclusion is ludicrous. And it is not just grand statistics that guide us to that conclusion. We each have our own personal experiences. So let us set the record straight. The Jewish family is blessed with people from every race and nation. White, black, Hispanic, Oriental, Asian, Middle Eastern, etc. 
An estimated 6 to 10% of Jews in America are Jews of color. And the majority of Jews in Israel are what DEI would classify as people of color. Again, Jews are not a race. We're a family. My hope is that we do not see other minorities as competition in the victim game. Rather, we are natural allies. Together with the majority of people, regardless of race, religion, ethnic background, we need to stand strong against hate groups. Just as we should stand as strong allies with our friends and neighbors who are of color, who are of different faiths, ethnicity, and sexual orientations, so too must we stand up for ourselves. It is essential that our reaction is not to cower in fear. We have seen how silence and hiding and pretending that the threats will go away played out in Europe and in the Middle East. It is vital that we organize, plan, coordinate, educate, and stand strong and insist in a clear, strong voice that Jews count. In our long 3,500-year history, we have faced many difficult challenges. And in every instance, with God's blessings, we have survived. Not just survived, we have thrived and succeeded whenever and wherever given a chance. And one of the most important lessons we've learned was that words have power. And we've also learned that silence in the face of hateful words, is sinful. The sin of silence led to the murder of six million Jews. The sin of silence has given tacit permission to anti-Semites and bigots and racists and homophobes. The sin of silence gives cowards a temporary false sense of security. Silence, at best, is only a delaying tactic unless we stand up loudly and proudly against the hateful mob when they attack first one minority and then the other, well, it's only a matter of time before it's our turn to suffer. Yes, we Jews have suffered, and we have also learned. After the losses, we have learned how to rebuild and renew. And we have learned that we better teach our children and our grandchildren, that keeping silent, hiding, and pretending that danger is not there is not an option. We have the right not to keep silent. And in doing so, we need to demonstrate a love of justice, fairness, and goodness by standing strong and proud with our wits about us and allies to join we will defeat the purveyors of hatred. We will defeat the anti-Semites and those who long to destroy our people. We will overcome the bigots and defend the most vulnerable and continue to shine the light of justice and goodness to brighten this world. On this kol nidre, this night in which we invest our time considering the power of words and the sin of silence. This holiest day of the Jewish world we stand before God and each other 
We commit. We dedicate ourselves to doing better for others and for ourselves. Chazak, chazak v'nit chazik. Be strong, my people. Be strong and have courage. Together we will help to heal this world for all people, including us. Ken Hiratzon, may it be God's will. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Gosh, it's nice to have an opportunity to speak to somebody in the news. Steve Durham, he's part of our Colorado State Board of Education. I read about him Via an article Erica Meltzer wrote for Chalkbeat, the Denver Post reprinted it. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you. And you brought to mind that uh, we have made each other's acquaintance. It was during a busy time for me. You've run for office many times. Why don't you do a background of yourself before we talk about how you and I came to know each other? All right. Well, I spent uh, was elected to the Colorado House of Representatives three times from 1974 to 1980. Um, served uh, served six years there. Was elected to the Colorado State Senate twice in 1980 and 1984. When I was elected in 1980, I resigned after about six months and spent two years with the Reagan administration as the uh, head of the regional EPA office for Federal Region Eight. And then uh, I've spent the last eight years as a member of the Colorado State Board of Education representing the 5th Congressional District. And you live down in Colorado Springs, am I right? That is correct. 
How long have you lived there? 65 years. Have you ever thought about just settling down in one community? <laughs> no. no I, I have that gypsy mode trying to move around. I think I was living in Colorado Springs, and maybe you were representing me. I was at the Colorado College campus graduating in 1978. Would you have been my rep then? I would have. Yes, I was. From um, I represented the campus area from 74 to 1980. And I remember the DA, Bob Russell, came and spoke yes. to one of my classes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Bob was my one of my favorite human beings. He was a great DA and uh, really ran a first-class office for a number of years. Wow. And then you told me that you somehow got involved in my one foray into politics. I ran against Bill Ritter, the incumbent Democrat DA. Jeez, I don't know what happened to him after he kicked my butt in the 1996 Denver DA election. Oh, yeah, he became governor. Anyway, you reminded me that somehow you got involved. I did. I think uh, trying to I think uh, I think I was doing some work for uh, a prime mutual friend of ours, Bruce Benson. And I think he was supporting your campaign at the time. And uh, I pitched in uh, at his request. I remember it distinctly. The finishing message against me was, you can't vote for Silverman. He says he's unaffiliated, but he's a damn Republican. Look who's supporting him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, the character assassination when nothing else works. Well, I still policy. am proudly unaffiliated, and uh, I, I like that perch. I advertise it. Some things get me worked up, and... Uh, that's why I wanted to call you and talk to you, Steve, about this article that I saw in the paper. Why don't you describe uh, the issue in your own words? Well, it, it, we're um, at the request of the le legislature uh, creating standards for Holocaust and genocide education. And uh, one of my many uh, areas of, of study, I was a history teacher when I first got out of college is that if you look at the history of, of genocide, um, it's largely conducted by, um, by communist and socialist uh, governments, uh, and particularly in, in the Soviet Union, and uh, starting in the 30s with the Ukrainians, where they killed six, starved six million Ukrainians that to death. That was Stalin, right? Correct, yeah. And then, uh, then I, I just have been reading that book by Timothy Snyder called Bloodlands, and the amount of killing that went on in that part of the world. And Stalin really was a butcher, horrible what the communists did once yeah. Stalin and, and Pol Pot, he was a communist too, wasn't he? Correct. And of course, the biggest, uh, uh, the, the biggest uh, purveyor of genocide in world history was Mao Zedong in China probably in these various purges and coups killed and over starvations, 50 million. Deliberate yes, yeah. starvations of people. And look at uh, Korea, North Korea. No doubt there are so many horrible genocides committed by totalitarians of the left. Absolutely true. I would say, if I was in court with you, I would say it's so stipulated. But then 
I've kind of paid attention to the Nazis, and it may be because I'm Jewish. You know, it's kind of personal. My parents grew up in Denver, and they worried about that stuff. So I tried to get educated as much as I can about it. And honest to God, it seems to me, Steve, that it's obvious that Hitler was the arch opponent of the communists, and he went the wrong way too far to the right. And yeah, they had that moniker socialist, an English word, but it really didn't fit any more than like the Los Angeles Lakers. Where are the lakes in LA? I mean, it's just a name that evolved in a terrible direction under Hitler. And that's what I want taught to the Colorado students in our schools. Isn't that the way to go? Acknowledge that if you go too far left or too far right, it leads to totalitarianism and genocide. Isn't that the truth? I think I think the the important distinction is uh, in in this instance is that the primary difference um, and, and then left and right is usually based on on economic policy. That is. You know, free markets, capitalists, uh, and certainly Hitler was not a free market capitalist versus uh, versus a socialist or or communist, uh, depending on how far they want to go. The, the primary difference between the Communist Party and the uh, and the Nazi Party in in Germany was the communists had an orientation internationally to the Soviet Union at the time, and the the Germans, uh, the uh, the Nazis were a, a nationalistic party with uh, um, with a allegiance strictly to uh, to Germans. So it's it's the um, there was really no economic uh, right tilt to uh, to the uh, to the Nazis, and their their primary difference with the uh, communists was over was over. Uh, 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 or international orientation. So, but I think, but I think that's, I think that's really quibbling. I mean, I don't object at all to labeling Nazis for what they are, which were extreme nationalists, and um, and and certainly it ought to be taught in school. And nobody, uh, including me, objects to that, and and uh, objects to the to the use of the word Nazi as a accurate descriptor, but. You know, I, I do think it's important to use the entire name, which is you know the National German Socialist Workers Party, and I think it's important that they call they thought of themselves as socialists. They called themselves socialists, but the most important point in my historical time is that you can't commit genocide without big, powerful government, and conservatives. Um, believe in limited government and government that's restrained by constitutional provisions that that protect citizens from government, and that's that's been the mantra of capitalists and conservatives uh, from the very beginning: keeping government out of business, keeping government out of people's personal lives. And I think it's important that that we talk about limited government and socialism in any of its forms, is certainly not limited government. Right. And we could have a nice debate about socialism, but I worry more about Nazis, okay? And generally speaking, I'm not that worried about socialists. Communists worry me, anybody on the extreme. And while it was in German, et cetera, did you have occasion to watch the Ken Burns special, The U.S. and the Holocaust? I mean, as a history teacher, I bet you would love it. 
I have not seen it. No, I have not. Boy, is it powerful. And, uh, you know, I was born in the mid-50s, so I wasn't around during that time. But I've read up about, uh, you know, the politics of it. And isn't it fair to say that as we made the fateful, I mean, do you think America should have gotten involved in World War II? Oh, absolutely. And uh, do you agree that the Nazis needed to be eradicated? Absolutely. Yeah, we and, should have gotten involved and, sooner than we did. Right, uh, but, but FDR, right, what was holding back America from getting involved? Well, I think isolationism is nothing new in, in America. And, uh, and you saw it in World War One. you saw it again in World War II. Um, and I think only World War Two ended our isolationist strength, uh, streak. So I, I don't... Uh, I think there was a long history that really had little to do with the Nazis and much more to do with uh, America's general position of not becoming entangled in European affairs. And not being entangled in Jewish matters. I mean, let's let's face facts. Charles Lindbergh was exceptionally popular, right? And he was a darling of the Republicans at the time. And he was advocating America first with the backing of Father Coughlin and Henry Ford. And there was a real big political argument. And Japan kind of forced America's hand with Pearl Harbor. But there was a debate going on. And there were Republicans who, I mean, it's sort of like Ukraine right now. Um, some Republicans say, let's pull back. Others are saying, are you kidding me? We got to fight them like Reagan would. And so the argument then was, do we get involved or do we not? But back then, it also had the Jewish question, because ever since Kristallnacht, for sure, which happened in the late 30s, America knew that the Jews of Europe were in big trouble. And the question was, I mean, just like Ukraine's in big trouble now, what do we do about it? Let me ask you, Senator, I mean, what should be done? You you already said... America made the right move going in. But don't you agree that was contrary to what Lindbergh and major Republican luminaries were saying? Well, it it certainly wasn't uh, contrary after Pearl Harbor. But prior to Pearl Harbor, you're correct. There were a number of Republicans and a number of Democrats who were isolationists to to the end. Uh, And the end being the attack on Pearl Harbor. Right, and they invoked nationalism. They even used the term America first. Why do we want to get involved helping European Jews? And at the same time, no, I don't, yeah. I don't, think, I don't think it was just a Jewish question. I think the, the American isolation and American uh, resistance to becoming involved in, in European wars uh, was a long, long period of history, true in World War I. True after World War One, uh, and true, I think, until until uh, the end, really, of World War Two. Well, maybe we're quibbling about something we don't need to do. Uh, I mean, would you acknowledge that? I mean, Lindbergh and his allies, the Senator Lundeen. Do you realize the Nazis were working to kind of infiltrate our politics back then? Have you have you studied up? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and so were the communists and. Right. Not in, not uncommon. 
Right, and that's my point, because if I tell my kids about the history of World War II, I would say that Germany was kind of caught in a geographic tug-of-war between communists, as embodied by the Leninist Revolution nearby in Russia, and then you had right-wing nationalists like Hitler, and the right-wing Nazis fought the left-wing commies, and uh, eventually the Nazis prevailed, and they went they went nuts. Yeah, the, the, you know, keep in mind, left and right is usually economic policy. There are no free market economic policies of the of the Nazis that I'm aware of. So I'm when I use left and right, uh, it's uh, it has to do only and only with economic policies. It doesn't have anything to do with any other policies. And right, that's and I you think, know I like uh, that word think, right because when I think about it, and maybe I don't have the economics orientation that you do, I think about human rights and freedom the things we cherish in the American Bill of Rights. And you would agree that the Nazis, they were not into free speech. They were not into uh, freedom of religion. They were into my way or the highway, right? That is correct. Yeah, and, and that, that doesn't have anything to do with left or right in this particular instance. Uh, they, were, they were big government, powerful government people, unlike today's conservatives, uh, who are for weak government, strong constitutional protections, and 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 continued limitation on the authority of government to do almost anything. All right. So, if you eliminate the economics aspect of things, would you acknowledge that I have it right that the right wing went way too far embracing the Nazis? And, and and that's just a cancer that needed to be excised from politics, right? Correct. I'm worried about anti-Semitism. I don't know if you saw the remarks of Kanye West. Did you hear that he wants I, to go death com three against the Jewish people? I did not, but I, I rarely pay any attention to people like him. So. I have not heard or seen his remarks. What about Donald Trump's Truth Social post last Sunday that really had me and a lot of Jews alarmed when he said American Jews are not as loyal to him as evangelicals, that he's more popular in Israel, and American Jews better turn it around before it's too late? Yeah, those. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Trump either, so. Uh, I didn't hear those specific comments, but they're all too typical of uh, of his misstatements. Right. And uh, do you think that Jewish people have good reason to be worried? I mean, again, it's not all from Donald Trump or the right. I worry about the squad and the things that they do and say against the Jewish people. When one of them said it's all about the Benjamins and apply money things, I mean, will you condemn it on the left and the right? Oh, absolutely. Well, see, I knew there was a reason that uh, you and I once got along so well, and we haven't <laughs> talked in years. Um, what about this controversy? I mean, it, 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 where are we at on it? Should people be concerned about your position? And, and don't you think that students— 
really don't know much about the Holocaust and it's important for them to get as much accurate information as possible? Well, when, when I was a history teacher and my classes knew plenty about it, I, I can only hope that uh, teachers have continued to have that as a part of their curricula. And I you know, presume that they do. Um, so, and I could be wrong about that. I, mean, I haven't been in a classroom in a number of years, but the, the answer is it should be part of the curriculum. And I think that the, you know, the, the use of the legal name of the Nazi party, I believe is instructive. And that's all, that's the only change I happen to be in favor of is, you know, people should know that they thought them thought of themselves as socialists. They certainly weren't capitalists. Uh, and I think it's an important to stand. And they were big government people. So they were all of the things that conservatives are not. Well, um, I, I think it's confusing, just like the word Republicans. What does that mean? It, did it mean something different when Abe Lincoln started it? And then the Democratic Party, does that mean that they're the only ones who are for democracy? I don't know. The Nuggets just lost to the Utah Jazz. Well, you know, what does jazz have to do with Utah? My whole point is that names get changed. And I'm worried that you are giving a bad historical lesson to the extent any high schoolers say, hey, the Nazis, they came from the left on the political spectrum. That's why we have to worry about these damn Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, because they'll turn into Adolf Hitler. And it's like, no. If she went too far, she'd turn into Pol Pot. You know, isn't that the right lesson? Well, I, I, you know, I just have to go back to my original statement. You know, left and right is settled by economics, not anything else. Now, if you want to talk, you want to add in the nationalism and other factors. I don't think you can have left-wing nationalists. You can have right-wing nationalists. So, and and you do have in the world today. I mean, you know, what would you? Uh, what would you characterize Putin as today? I would call him a, an autocrat, kleptomaniac, uh, uh, anti-social personality, richest guy in the world. Yeah, that's pretty close. But I, I don't really consider him a commie anymore. It's all about kleptomania. And uh, he's no, a dictator. In, ter in, in terms of his view of, of government and government control, I mean, he may have, he may have, have I, not opted for government ownership, but he certainly is of, of industry, but certainly is for government control. Right, and he started to venerate yeah. Stalin, which should have been a big warning to all of us, right? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> right, and Stalin grew out of Lenin, and Lenin was probably one of those pure communists. You know, and then you, then you go back to Karl Marx and say, well, see, that's the Jews. They invented communism. And then the communists say, well, look at the Rothschilds. They invented capitalism. And we get it yeah. from every direction. Can you kind of understand where the Jewish people are coming from and why I might be calling you today just to get your point of view? I think they have reason to be concerned. But keep in mind, the only change that I made in uh, in the uh, teaching of or proposed teaching of genocide is the is the, well, there are two changes one was the addition of of many genocides as i could conveniently find in history most of which were socialists and communists and uh, and the use of the full legal name of the 
Nazi Party. Now, I I don't know how. I think it's going to be difficult for anybody to be against truth and advertising. That's what they said they were. American school children have the right to know what they said they were. They can they can do their own interpretation. Uh, their teachers can be instructive, but there's nothing wrong with full disclosure. And I, the the antidote the antidote to to totalitarianism and the antidote to uh, censorship is not not less information, but more. I. Uh... Here's the thing, though. You have to go a different layer, and you apparently don't like my L.A. Lake or Utah jazz <laughs> metaphor, but you, let's go back to something we agree about. You said you don't like Donald Trump because he's not the kind of Republican that I remember. I don't think Ronald Reagan would like him. And uh, But but the bottom line is this, is that uh, he kind of took over the Republican Party. And that's what Hitler did once he glommed onto that National Socialist Party. He turned it in a different direction. It used to be Republicans were like you who wanted to fight communisms and, and bastards like Hitler and Putin. Uh, but there's a wing of your party who, who's different now, and it's more like Trump. So he kind of took over your party. You see what I'm saying? Well, he, he, won, he won one election, but... Well, tell That's, me why you don't like him, Steve. I'd like to hear it. Well, I mean, I, I like I like many of his economic policies and his immigration policies. So make make no mistake on a policy basis that uh, that uh, I think most most of the vast majority of Republicans like Trump. But I think, like you, what they don't like is what what came with that the 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 extreme narcissism and and the ego. That uh, has really put into ill repute the the positive things that the party does believe in and has believed in, which is limited government, free enterprise, and uh, and a respect for individual rights. And if you have, and I think that still is the Republican Party, notwithstanding the one individual that's uh, that's created problems for us. But I think this will pass, and I think you will find that the vast majority of Republicans are clearly just what I described. I think this tweet by Donald Trump, you didn't hear it, and I don't want to paraphrase it. I have it up now, and I think it embodies the narcissism and the sort of things that you don't personally like, which makes me like you. Because I think decent people have to speak out against this tweet. Let me read it directly so you don't hear a paraphrase. Donald J. Trump on Truth Social on October 16, 2022. No president has done more for Israel than I have. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. Those living in Israel, though, are a different story. Highest approval rating in the world. Could easily be prime minister. U.S. Jews have to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel. And then he puts in caps, be before it is too late, exclamation point. I mean, what do you think of that, Steve Durham? Well, I've always, uh, I don't personally have a Twitter or a Facebook account and I've always thought maybe somebody should break Donald Trump's thumbs 
um, would be uh, would be helpful. They took him off those sites. He created his own site, and that's why I'm reading it. Maybe I shouldn't, yeah. but I mean, when a former president does that, Steve, and and I haven't heard any Republicans speak out, and and you are a Republican. Will you speak out against that? Sure, absolutely. Already did, in fact. In yes, earlier you did. in the conversation, you, so. you sure did. I. I sure appreciate you taking my call, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And thanks for uh, giving me your perspective on this. I hope you understand mine. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's good to hear from you again, Craig. And just and, and forget about what I have to say. You read that article. Do you think it was fair by Erica Meltzer? She quoted a lot of Holocaust scholars who say, and that's my concern, Steve. Maybe people of lesser goodwill than you will kind of use this to argue that, you see, Hitler was a man of the left. Well, I just, you know, more information is better than no information. And But I'm worried know, that's it, misinformation. I mean, I can understand well, <laughs> if I was on the right, I wouldn't want Hitler being from the right, but I don't want Bernie Madoff to be Jewish, but he was. So what am I going to do? It's the truth. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think we're just going to have to disagree on that. If, if, you, if you accept that the, pro the proper measure of left and right is economic policy, doesn't have anything to do with nationalism, doesn't have anything to do with, with racism, it has everything to do, uh, as far as I'm concerned, with you, when you're labeling, you label based on economic policy. See, here's what I worry about, because my dad, you know, the Klan had an outbreak in Colorado Springs, Denver, back in the 20s, and they came in saying, we're going to clean up your crime problem. We're going to clean up your inflation problem. And they come in, and they take kind of things into their own hands, and they say, don't you feel safer? And, and that just seems like something, well, I don't know, maybe left-wingers do that same very thing. I don't know. It, you've studied the issue. Anyway, Steve, great conversation. Thanks for your time. And uh, it, it, anything else you want to say? Because no. um, this is your opportunity. No, thank you very much, Craig. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Have a good day. Mm. Bye, Bye now. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go. You know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? 
These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hi, Craig. Joe Day, how you doing? Joe O'Day, thanks for calling. How are you this morning, this afternoon, or whatever time it is? We are talking on Thursday afternoon with Joe O'Day. I had the privilege of meeting his spouse, Celeste, last night. I got to hang out with Quinn, grandson of my late best buddy, Joseph Henry Leiden. It was a pleasure to see you in person, and I have to say that Celeste and Quinn they are two big assets for you. Yeah, but uh, my wife has been my rock for 42 years, Craig. She's the best part of my life and uh, a big advocate. She's been working hard for the campaign here the last uh, weeks of the campaign. She's out making speeches. She'll make another one this afternoon. I had the chance to converse with her about the topic that I wanted to speak to you about, and I'm so grateful for you to come on a third time and I do not want to bury the lead. I know you want to win, but I don't think you want to do so so badly that you will sacrifice your principles or your morals. And I watched you on CNN, State of the Union, early Sunday morning. You look good, by the way. But I liked what you had to say when, what was it, Dan Abash, who asked you about uh, Donald Trump, Um were you expecting that question, and why did you answer it the way that you did? I, you know, I I wasn't expecting the question, and I I, I just am who I am, Craig. As you know, I, I'm just I speak my mind. I'm not a politician. I'm a contractor, and I believe what I believe. And you know, we we got to get out of this mindset of of, of us versus them. Uh, we got to move this country forward. I agree. But I had a weekend that, uh, you know, the Broncos were enough to give you heartburn on the weekend. I don't really need it from the president of the United States. But he put out a tweet involving the Jewish people that was shocking to me and uh, a lot of people uh, who are Jewish and a lot of people who are not Jewish. Did you have occasion to see that tweet that Trump said American Jews need to get their act together? Yeah, I, I, I it's not a tweet. Hey, excuse me. I'm sorry. It was a Truth Social post in which he said that the Jewish people need to act a certain way. Uh, I'll get you the exact quote, but uh, I wondered if you wanted to speak out against it because I haven't heard anybody really uh, discuss it. 
Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, Craig, I don't, I don't believe in discrimination at all in any form or fashion. Uh, based to, to my company on respect and hiring people that want to work hard and have a lot of character and like to get along with people. And, and that's how I live my life. Um, you know, you know, you met my, my wife last night. Uh, she's Hispanic. I, I just have no room for bigotry. And, and, and uh, so I, I disagree with the quote. It, it's time we move this country forward. We got to get out of this mindset that it's us versus them or Republicans versus Democrats. We're all Americans. And, and, and you know, I thought President Biden's speech where he tried to paint anyone who supported or voted for Trump was a threat to democracy. I think that's wrong as well. I mean, I, you know, can you imagine Abraham Lincoln is thinking about how where we've gotten here, this this partisanship where we can't talk to each other? It's just wrong. We got to get back to being one country. We got to get back to being Americans. I love this country, and that's why I got in this race. Is you know, I want to go to Washington and and get good things done for Colorado. That's that's what we need. We need representatives that are going to prioritize working Americans in this great state of Colorado, and that's why I'm going. Celeste and I had a good talk about uh, Donald Trump, and my gosh, she's such a lovely person. And as you've indicated, she's Mexican-American. And Donald Trump, when he announced his candidacy, disparaged Mexicans. And then when a judge, an American judge of Mexican heritage, ruled against him on his fraudulent Trump University, he ripped him as a Mexican. And a couple of weeks ago, he said crap about Elaine Chow, that she is loyal to China, called her Coco Chow. And every week, he does it a little more. And Joe, I'm having you on, and I'm considering giving you my vote. I just want to read you this truth social post of Donald J. Trump and just ask you, uh, to give me a paragraph or two in reaction. Donald J. Trump posted this on October 16, 2022. No president has done more for Israel than I have. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. Those living in Israel, though, are a different story. Highest approval rating in the world. Could easily be prime minister! Exclamation point. U.S. Jews have to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it is too late! Exclamation point. Now that struck me as wrong in a lot of ways, and I feel like it's anti-Semitism, and I hate it, but I'm not a Republican. I'm not running for the U.S. Senate. And I've just been mostly disappointed that I haven't heard any prominent Republicans speak out against it. This is your chance, Joe O'Day. How does that post um, make you feel as a non-Christian but somebody who doesn't like bigotry? Well, uh, like I said before, uh, I, I think it's wrong. Uh, we got to get out of this mindset that, uh, uh, you know, we're us versus them. Republicans versus Democrats, uh, you know, white people versus colored people. I, I just got no time for any of that. We need to move this country forward. We're all Americans. We're all here. We want good lives for our kids. We want lower gas prices. We want lower grocery prices. 
And, and that's what I'm focused on. I'm, I'm focused on working Americans, small business owners, middle class, you know, retirees have just seen their 401k, Craig, get crippled. I know, I know. That's and and uh, we got so many things we need to focus on here in the United States to move this country forward. And and I'm going to continue to talk about those things. Those are the things when I'm out on the campaign trail, people are coming up to me and they're hurting, Craig. I had a guy the other day, uh, he owns a, a tool truck, he sells tools. And and he said he was parking his truck. He said, Joe, you, you got to win. You, you got to help us. I'm getting crushed. I'm parking my truck because nobody's got any disposable income right now. They're not buying any tools from me. I got to go back to turning a wrench. And, and, I mean, he had like he was just down and, and disparaged. And I got to tell you that I'm hearing that across uh, Colorado. A lady came up to me the other day at a, at a fundraiser deal that we were doing, and she gave me 30 bucks. It's all she had. And she said, you know, we just spent $72,000 She's from Eden, Colorado, on, on 300 acres of, of farmland so she could fertilize. 72000 she says, that's almost double what we paid last year, and that number was up by 25%. She goes, I have no idea whether that crop is going to make that much money or not, but that's all we have, and I have to bet on it. That's how desperate people are right now. We've got a lot of big problems in the United States. And we need people that are going to go to Washington, D.C. and help us solve those problems. Right. But here's the thing, Joe. And the economic argument, obviously, if people are attracted to your argument, they're going to vote for you. And the economy is bad. We could argue about why that is. But I'm more concerned about human rights and bigotry. And you've already condemned it. And yet Donald Trump, to me, he's a mobster. And he's trying to intimidate the Jewish people, and then he tries to intimidate you. Here's his truth social post against you. There's this rhino character in the great state of Colorado, Joe O'Day, that is running against the incumbent Democrat for the United States Senate, who is having a good old time saying that he wants to, quote, distance, close quote himself, from President Trump and other slightly nasty things. He should look at the economy, inflation, energy independence, defeating ISIS, the strongest ever border, great trade deals, and much more before he speaks. MAGA doesn't vote for stupid people with big mouths. Good luck, Joe! Exclamation point. Don't you think that's an in- uh, attempt to intimidate you and kind of say, hey, just look at the economy. Forget about my bigotry. I mean, put it together, Joe. I mean, people like me who are thinking about voting for you, we want to hear you say, this is bullshit. His tweet, his truth social against me, his truth social against the Jewish people. I stand for a Republican Party that says no to this bullshit. Well, I got to tell you, Craig, I, I, I think I'm off his Christmas list. I'm not sure, but I, I, think, I don't think I'm getting a card this year. And I, I said what I said, and I meant it. I can't control the guy. That's his, whatever he wants to say, he's going to say. But that isn't me. That's not how I'm going to move the country forward. That's not how I'm going to talk to people. You know, I, I come from a business where 80% of our employees are, are uh, Hispanic, and, and we have a huge, diverse oper- operation at CEI. And 
and I and I I treat those people the way I'd like to be treated, and that's with respect. And and, and I love them, and 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 that's how I'm going to move the country forward. We 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 need to treat each other with respect, and let's get some good things done for the United States. What about uh, the Jewish people? The last time you were on, I labeled the episode "Southeast Denver Dudes," and I did not realize just how connected we are. But I went to GW. My wife went to Bear Creek. You went to Mullen, kind of in the middle. Your beautiful wife went to school in Aurora Public Schools. I, or was it Cherry Creek School, right? Uh, regardless, she lived in Aurora. I, I'm just saying that you were in a synagogue with me last night. You were good enough to show up to address uh, the Jewish Candidates Forum. I mean, what would you say to the Jewish people who see this posting by Donald Trump and say, Ech, I don't want anything to do with a, a guy who would have anything to do with this guy? Well, I'd tell him to vote for Joe O'Day because I don't want anything to do with any kind of bigotry. We're going to move this country forward. We're going to stay focused on those issues that matter to working Americans. Uh, and I'll fight that every day of the week. And I don't want any part of that. We need to move this country forward. And that's what we're going to do, Craig. I got to tell you, man, we built a huge tent. We've got some good Republicans. We've got some good GOP. We even have some Trump supporters and, and a lot of independents. And we've got Democrats that are really disgruntled and hate the direction this country's headed. Uh, they're all on board with where we're going. It's working Americans. It's mechanics, carpenters. I got to tell you, police officers, nurses. We got doctors. We got all walks of life. We got Catholics. We got Jews. We got all kinds of people that are getting behind this campaign, a lot of Latin Americans that, that just love what we're talking about, and, and we're going to get across the finish line with a diverse tent that's all focused on one thing, and that's doing what's good for Colorado, and that's what we're going to do. And I'd like to make national headlines. Prominent Republican castigates Donald Trump for his anti-Jewish post. And I think Jewish Americans throughout the country would take notice of you because we like a good economy, too, just like anybody. We want a safe country run by normal business guys or uh, people who come from the out of politics like you. So, again, I just give you that opportunity before we turn to another thing I want to talk about, which is Michael Bennett distorting your record. But anything else on this subject? Any pitch to Jewish Americans, hey, you have a friend in me, I, I'll support Israel, but I also won't support bigotry against you. I mean, do you see the anti-Semitism? Uh, you know, honestly, in Southeast Denver, I did not feel it much, Joe, but I can tell you between Kanye West, an ally of the president, and uh, I, I just see a, 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 a concentrated attack. I know you've been on the campaign trail, but would you be the kind of Republican that would stand up to the MAGA bigoted elements within your party? Look, that's just not me, Craig. I'll stand up to anybody that uh, that wants to disparage someone for race, creed, color, religion, any of that stuff. That That's just not me. And I'm not interested in the national headline. I'm interested in the vote on November 8th to get myself into the U.S. Senate where I can help move Colorado forward. That, that's what I, that's why I'm running, Craig. we got to move the country forward. Right, and we have to get past the big lie. And are you willing to accept the consequences of the election? You, you cracked me up last night. You were up there with Michael Bennett. 
I don't want to steal your lap line, but tell everybody what you said when you were asked if you would accept the election results. I said, certainly, you know, elections have consequences. And I believe in our election system here. And I, I turned to uh, Senator Bennett, said, you know, let's have a beer on the uh, to cheers whoever ends up winning, loser buys, and my beer's going to have ice in it. And that's that's he acknowledged that. We got an agreement, so uh, we'll probably have a beer on the 9th of uh, November. What is up with you and the ice in your beer? I got to tell you, Craig, I like a cold beer. I like it, too. Sometimes my wife likes to put ice in her wine, so you're the kind of guy who orders an extra glass of ice when you go somewhere. I've been doing it for 25 years, and it tastes pretty dang good. Well, here's what doesn't taste good for me. You've shown courage in taking on Trump and his big lie and his bigotry, and you also have bucked elements of your party by saying, I'm pro-choice to an extent. I like Roe v. Wade. I think it was good policy. This Dobbs decision throws the country into a tailspin in a way. And that's amazing to have a Republican say that. And yet Michael Bennett would have you be, you know, Dan Kaplis uh, running for the Senate, that you're pro-life. It's just a total distortion of your record. Am I right? Yeah, I'm I'm really disappointed in that. Michael Michael Bennett and his allies are running a very dishonest campaign, especially on my stance on abortion. Uh, they clipped the quote Michael did that uh, says, "I I think you'll see me help move the pro-life movement forward," uh, and, and that's ridiculous. They shortened that. The the clip Michael Bennett used is from a Dan Kaplis show where we were having an argument on the radio. And I told Dan I supported abortion rights. Dan still attacks me on the radio over it, basically uh, as often as he can. But in that clip, I was very specific, and I told Dan I'd move the cause of pro-life voters forward by working with them on expanding adoption. And, and Craig, you and I have had this chat before. You know, adoption's a big part of moving this, the country forward on this issue. If we want to change hearts and minds, we got to make sure that that's more socially acceptable. Uh, it's personal for me. I, I'm adopted. I never did meet my biological mother, but uh, she must have been very brave to have carried me to term back in the 60s. Uh, and, and so I really respect that. So it stung a bit. It's wrong. And I'm actually surprised that Michael would stoop to that level. Uh, he's a pretty nice guy. I can't believe he did that. Yes, it's disappointing. And he also was down with uh, the campaign to support Ron Hanks. Talk about it. Snake in the grass, MAGA type, who's now, you know, turned against you. He was uh, there on January 6th, and you were against all that stuff. But the Democrats had the temerity to buy commercial time to try to boost him so that Bennett would have a weaker candidate or so they thought to run against. Am I right? Well, yeah, that's the Democratic Party. I'm telling you, they're a machine. They'll spend any amount of money to stay in power. They don't want to see a working class guy that uh, believes in working Americans. It's going to do what's right for those of us that are you know, footing the bill for all this tax and spend spree. They spent $10 million in the primary trying to keep me off the ticket. Uh, I think they've, they've figured out they got their hands full right now. They're, they're coming after me hard because uh, uh, they don't want to see 
Michael, you know, Joe Biden loses wingman. And uh, that's why I'm headed to the, the Senate. We got, as I told you earlier, built a huge tent. It's a huge number of people that have gotten behind us. Uh, you'll start seeing the working Americans got decals on their trucks now going across town here in Denver. You're going to see them. They'll start showing up tomorrow. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big movement, and, and we're excited about it. All right. Talk about a Southeast Denver story. You blew me away last night. I did not sleep that well because I was thinking <laughs> of our beloved Moses, who, if I can just tell the Moses story, maybe I've told it on the radio, and I guess I told it to you, may, uh, maybe on the podcast, but somehow you heard Anyway. You mentioned it to me. Yeah, Craig. Uh, and it, I didn't put two and two together until... Uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was thinking about it, you told me you found a dog back in the 70s. A poodle. No, no, that's what have been in the 90s. I think in the, in the 90s. 90s. Huh. So think about oh. it. Maybe, maybe, anyway, my mom in the 90s, because I was putting it together with the pictures, and of course I asked my wife about it. I've been married 28 years. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married 33 Okay, so anyway, my my mother found an apricot poodle in the wetlands on the southeast corner of Bible Park, and we had a dog named Eddie who was off the leash and wandered into the wetlands and came back with this seriously matted-down apricot poodle, about eight pounds and probably five pounds of fur, and we couldn't find a collar, and we told the Dumb Friends League, and then we ended up adopting the dog and getting the shots and named him Moses because we found it on a hot July day in Bible Park. Do you think that was a dog connected to you? I, I think it was. We lost a dog about that time. Uh, it was uh, a grandparent's dog. Uh, his name was Clancy. He was probably maybe three, four, maybe five years old, little uh, apricot poodle. And you sent me a couple pictures last night, and, and my aunt's still alive. And I sent it to her, and she said, I think that's the dog. I really think that's the dog. He ran out of our backyard. We were taking care of him for uh, – we were dog-sitting for the grandparents. They were on a trip. And uh, he took off after a black lab that we owned and ran into the park, and we never did find him. And we were worried about him. His name was Clancy. He was a great little dog. And, and it just, uh, I, I got to tell you, it warmed my heart to find that, that you'd got him. And uh, I, I think there's about a 99% chance that's the dog. And, uh, you know, I was just glad to hear he lived a long, good life. And, and uh, thank you for that. Well, it was actually my mother. And it, when they would travel, we would take the dog. We shared, we had joint custody when I first got married with Trish. In fact, when I ran for DA against Bill Ritter, that was our campaign photo because I didn't have any kids. It was Trish and me and Eddie and Moses. And uh, that's the picture that I sent you. And Moses was so smart. We knew that he had had a good family. My sister's a veterinarian and examined it, said, this talk's about four or five years old, so that part yeah. matches up. And 
Oh, my gosh. And, he, and Moses lived to be 18, and he and Eddie were best friends, and Eddie was black. And so maybe that's what coaxed him out of the the reeds, the wetlands there. Holy cow, what a story. Did it freak you well, out it, like me? It's a small world. Yes. Yeah, it did. I was telling my, telling my wife, and she's like, holy cow, that's that's incredible. Well, I'm just glad he... Uh, he he had he met a good family and, and got taken care of because he was a hell of a good dog. All right, here's what I'm thinking about, Joe. If you win, and I think a lot of unaffiliated voters like me are thinking about it, I'm worried about the MAGA part of your party. But I figure if you win, I mean, the Republicans are going to need to have some moderators who say, no, we don't go for bigotry. We're going to leave that big lie bullshit behind. And did you see Mike Pence even stepped up and said he'd prefer somebody else? Kind of you you set the tone right there on CNN. You're a leader here. Well, we're going to move this country forward. That's all I'm focused on. Uh, I got a lot of work to do and got to get going here pretty quick. I know it, Joe. You've been uh, uh, we've, uh, Yeah, you've been we've, real. We've got, we're, been, we're down to 19 days and uh, we're going to be all over the state. We've got a rally down in Pueblo today. And then we've got another one at Greeley and Longmont and Windsor this weekend. So we'll get everywhere. We're going to keep the, the energy up and keep talking to working Americans about what good work we can do when we hit the U.S. Senate here in November. Uh, I'm excited. Craig, thanks a whole bunch for having me on again today. And uh, that's a fantastic story about Moses, who used to be Clancy. That's kind of cool. Isn't that something? Thanks for being with me. Thank you, Joe. Safe travels. Bye-bye. Bye now. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do, but like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Hey, I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's Attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. 
Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. So that's our show. I told you it would be fantastic. It's a disturbing topic, but my goodness, great to have Joe O'Day back on. Thanks for going as far as you did. I wish you would go a little further. Then there's Steve Durham. And I'd like to think we had a productive conversation. I learned where he's coming from. Hopefully he learned where I'm coming from. Our troubadour, Dave Gunders, he's got his heart in the right place every week. Stranger in a strange land, perfect. Rabbi Rick Rines, thank you for your powerful sermon and for letting me borrow it for my podcast. Silence is sinful. Please listen to the entirety of Rabbi Rick Ryan's powerful sermon from our last cold Nidre Yom Kippur night, 2022. Have a great week. Until next time, tell a friend, rate, review. Five stars is so nice. Much appreciated. Thank you. The Vidui touches so often on the words we say, the words we did not say. So I want to address tonight the obvious. Words have power, and so does silence. We each can point to scores of instances where words have inspired and informed, soothed and delighted. We also know that words have caused great hurt. And silence in reaction to hurtful words adds insult to injury. You may be familiar with the hep hep chant of the German Nazis as they marched threateningly through Jewish neighborhoods. But what is the meaning of HEP, HEP? HEP is an acronym from the Latin, Jerusalema est perdita. Jerusalem is lost. It was originally chanted by Roman soldiers in the year 70, during and after the destruction of Jerusalem. For the Romans, there was certainly no difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. They knew that the destruction of Jerusalem, the burning of the temple, and the conquering of Judea was an attempt to eradicate the Jewish people. They even changed the name of the province from Judea to Palestina. It is for that very reason that the Hep Hep chant was revised by university students in the Bavarian city of Würzburg in August 1819. It quickly spread among other anti-Semitic groups and eventually became popular with the Nazis and their followers. In Charlottesville, those Nazi chants were repeated and updated. Far-right thugs marched and lifted their arms in Nazi salute while chanting Sieg Heil, blood and soil, Jews will not replace us. And 
we also see that there are radical leftists harassing Jews on college campuses throughout this country with their own chants against Jews and Israel. The pro-Palestinian chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's a direct descendant from the Nazi cry in Germany calling for their land to be Judenrein, a land cleansed of Jews. Those who chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, might consider themselves progressive. But what they are calling for is for Israel to be wiped out along with seven million Jews who live there. They are advocating for a repeat of the Holocaust. What's the old saying? Politics makes strange bedfellows. Well, when it comes to Jews, the extreme far right and the radical left are partners. Whenever Jews gather for a pro-Israel celebration, even here in Denver, there will always be a mixture of anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist protesters from different political and sociological perspectives. On almost every other issue, they probably would not agree. However, their mutual hatred of Israel, that makes them best buddies. Part of the Nazi methodology was the spreading of the big lie. Joseph Goebbels, the minister of propaganda for Hitler and the Nazis, perfected the manipulation of media and popular opinion to promote the anti-Semitic plans and eventually the Holocaust. It was Goebbels who organized a boycott of Jewish businesses in 1932. He followed it with the burning of Jewish books. Modern-day promoters of BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, have copied that Nazi plan. Again, their opposition is not just against Israel. Their boycotts are against the Jewish people. During World War II, Goebbels was infamous for using the media to broadcast lies in order to turn every battlefield loss or setback into a German victory. Modern anti-Zionists and anti-Semites use the same formula. The ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, has tracked these anti-Semitic conspiracy attacks for decades. Big lies told by anti-Semites tried to link Jews to 9-11. Others attempt to blame Jews for Sandy Hook and El Paso mass shootings. Even Charlie Hebo in Paris, all the Jews. There are groups putting up flyers and post online that Jews are, blamed, are to be the blame for COVID. It doesn't matter that these lies are so far-fetched and ridiculous. There are tens of thousands of people who are influenced by them. And those lies are even created and perpetrated here in Denver at a university just down the street. Just a few weeks ago, Professor Nader Hashemi, University of Denver Professor of International Affairs and the director of the University Center for Middle East Studies, speculated on a podcast that the attack against Salman Rushdie was likely orchestrated by Jews. The Israeli Mossad. Now, as you know, Salman Rushdie, an internationally acclaimed novelist, 
has been under an Iranian death threat for decades. He had other attempts against his life, as Muslim extremists try to avenge what they believe is Rushdie's blasphemous book, Satanic Verses. On August 12, just a few weeks ago, a 24-year-old Muslim, Hadi Matar, was arrested at the scene after a stabbing attack that nearly killed Rushdie. And yet Professor Hashemi, who teaches college students, but blocks from here, he put the blame on Israel for the attack. This is a man who's the director of the Middle East Studies, and he's a conspiratorial. He's a conspiratorialist, which is a lot easier to read than to say. <laughs> he believes in conspiracies. Achid. But he's just like Goebbels. He manipulates the media and gullible students to blame Jews. Now here's where it gets even more infuriating. Scott Levin of the ADL, along with other Jewish leaders, protested against Hashemi. Then Denver Post columnist Krista Kafer, she rebuked the ADL in her column. She accused the ADL and Jews of stifling Professor Hashemi's freedom of speech. Imagine that. According to Kafer, it's perfectly acceptable for a professor to promote conspiratorial hate against Israel and Jews, but it is not acceptable for Jews to speak up in defense of our defamation. We have no right to protest, according to her. Well, if she can use her column to protect anti-Semites and rebuke Jews and Hashemi, can use his classes and the media to attack Israel with outrageous lies and theories, well then at the very least, I can use this pulpit to warn our community that there are anti-Semites and anti-Zionists who are not just uninformed and inconsequential misfits in faraway places, but rather they are found on campuses in the media running sophisticated organizations and they are in our backyard. This is not news to most of you. As you may know, Temple Sinai was selected to be one of 20 synagogues nationwide to pilot an initiative created by the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, and the URJ, the Union for Reform Judaism. It's an initiative to combat anti-Semitism. We called our initiative anti-Semitism. Recognize, respond, report. Through the ADL-URJ task force, we offered programs to empower our Temple Sinai members of all ages and will continue to do so. The ADL reports that incidents of anti-Semitism are up over 30% in Colorado. And while systemic and institutional anti-Semitism is unlawful, acts of violence and harassment against Jews is plaguing us. The very fact that Temple Synagogues like Temple Sinai have to invest in armed guards and security measures speaks volumes about the situation. Now, yes, Israel also has its security concerns. There are acts of violence by Palestinian terrorists, and there are rocket attacks by Palestinian groups controlled by Hamas in Gaza. 
Israel also faces the saber-rattling of the rogue nation of Iran, which is planning to build a nuclear arsenal to carry out its demonic agenda. Still, to be a Jew in Israel, to walk freely down the street with or without a kippah, openly speaking Hebrew and proudly and securely identifying as a Jew, that's a special feeling. One of the reasons why it's so important for every Jew to travel to Israel again and again is to experience that feeling of pride and security and belongingness. When Susan and I bring a group of Temple Sinai members to Israel, as we will in just another few weeks, we all rediscover and recharge the sense of breit, of the sacred covenant that has inspired and preserved our people for over 3,500 years. And when you cannot be in Israel, the next best thing is to come to services. <laughs> what a surprise from a rabbi to say such a thing. Because services and programs at a synagogue, it's, it's next to godliness. When we are together, we openly are secure. We are who we are. We proudly identify as Jews and we celebrate and reinforce the extraordinary spirit and wisdom of our Jewish faith and culture. Now it's important to note that the Holocaust, the murder of six million Jews, was born from centuries of anti-Semitic church teachings and the denial of basic freedoms and rights by nearly every nation in Europe and the Middle East. Well before the Holocaust, many European Jews realized that the only way we could ever truly live with security and dignity would be to immigrate to America or to our ancestral homeland in Israel. Thus was born the modern Zionist movement, a determination to find at last a safe refuge for our people in our ancestral land. Yes, millions, like my family and yours, chose to come here to the United States for the blessings of this amazing country, the blessings of freedom and liberty and opportunity. But as I mentioned earlier, even here in this great country, we have been harassed by anti-Semitism. And as bad as it is now, it was even worse just a few decades ago. Like many of you, I was mesmerized by the recent showing on PBS of Ken Burns' three-part documentary on the United States and the Holocaust. If you haven't seen it, I hope you do soon. It's a unique and important piece. It focuses on American culture and society, our leaders and our people, before and during the Holocaust. What is demonstrated is that the refusal of the American government to rescue Jews from Europe was in keeping with the rampant anti-Semitism in this country during that period. The State Department, led by Cordell Hull and the notorious Breckenridge Long, used every wicked trick in the book to keep desperate Jewish refugees out of the United States. They resigned in disgrace only in 1944 when the world learned how their misdeeds, their lies, led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands. Too many politicians and bureaucrats turned their backs on Jews because anti-Semitism was an acceptable prejudice in America. Anti-Semitism was made 
mainstream by people like Father Coughlin, who in the 1930s had a radio show that reached tens of millions with his rantings and hatred of Jews. Antisemitism was strengthened by the vicious articles against Jews published by Henry Ford in his Dearborn Weekly newspaper. Ford's publication reached more people than all but one newspaper in the United States in the 1920s. And it was his paper that reprinted the notorious Protocols of the Elders of Zion, even though it was already widely known to be an anti-Semitic forgery from Russia. And anti-Semitism gained even more acceptability when the American aviator and celebrity Charles Lindbergh gave speeches around this country backing Germany and warning against Jews who were agitating against the Nazis. As anti-Semitism was rising and the Nazis increased in power, some rabbis and other leaders raised their voices. They held rallies and organized protests. But too many other rabbis and Jewish leaders taught that the best policy was to be quiet, to hide from the threats. They counseled silence. They thought that if we were quiet, the bullies would go away. But the bullies did not go away. The counsel of silence is disaster. We look back on that time and thoughtful people shudder that we are seeing many of the same sins of hatred arise in our own day. It is this fear that prompted Jonathan Greenblatt the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, to write his important book, It Could Happen Here. It Can Happen Here. The rise of anti-Semitism from the extreme right and the radical left is making it happen here. Attacks against Jews on the streets and on campuses are higher now than at any time since the Holocaust. And I, for one, will not be silent. And I pray that you will not be silent either. I don't want us to indulge in the game of victim competition with other groups that are singled out for attacks by racists and bigots. But you'll be hard-pressed to find a name one other group other than Jews who are attacked both by racists and bigots on the right and the left. So I suppose we do win. <laughs> Since we are attacked by both sides, you might think that Jews are protected by such noble policies as diversity, equity, and inclusion, D-E-I. It's an initiative that is being promoted at schools, government agencies, institutions, and businesses around the country. The effort to ensure fairness of opportunity for all people, regardless of the color of their skin, gender, ethnic background, religious faith, or sexual identification, is both noble and praiseworthy. And I support those initiatives full-heartedly. 
However, those of you who are in schools and institutions that are engaging in DEI programs, you've probably discovered something. That diversity, equity, and inclusion rarely, if ever, includes Jews. But how could it not include Jews? That's the subject of David Bedell's book, Jews Don't Count. While he primarily focused on the situation in England, his conclusion fits the situation here in the United States. Namely, that since Jews are considered white, and white is a majority culture, safe and empowered, Jews do not suffer from diversity, equity, and inclusion problems. Of course, in light of the escalating attacks of violent anti-Semitism in both the United States and England, such an exclusion is ludicrous. And it is not just grand statistics that guide us to that conclusion. We each have our own personal experiences. So let us set the record straight. The Jewish family is blessed with people from every race and nation. White, black, Hispanic, Oriental, Asian, Middle Eastern, etc. An estimated 6 to 10% of Jews in America are Jews of color. And the majority of Jews in Israel are what DEI would classify as people of color. Again, Jews are not a race. We're a family. My hope is that we do not see other minorities as competition in the victim game. Rather, we are natural allies Together with the majority of people, regardless of race, religion, ethnic background, we need to stand strong against hate groups. Just as we should stand as strong allies with our friends and neighbors who are of color, who are of different faiths, ethnicity, and sexual orientations, so too must we stand up for ourselves. It is essential that our reaction is not to cower in fear. We have seen how silence and hiding and pretending that the threats will go away played out in Europe and in the Middle East. It is vital that we organize, plan, coordinate, educate, and stand strong and insist in a clear, strong voice that Jews count. In our long 3,500-year history, we have faced many difficult challenges. And in every instance, with God's blessings, we have survived. Not just survived, we have thrived and succeeded whenever and wherever given a chance. And one of the most important lessons we've learned was that words have power. And we've also learned that silence in the face of hateful words, is sinful. The sin of silence led to the murder of six million Jews. The sin of silence has given tacit permission to anti-Semites and bigots and racists and homophobes. The sin of silence gives cowards a temporary false sense of security. Silence, at best, is only a delaying tactic unless we stand up loudly and proudly against the hateful mob when they attack first one minority and then the other, 
Well, it's only a matter of time before it's our turn to suffer. Yes, we Jews have suffered, and we have also learned. After the losses, we have learned how to rebuild and renew. And we have learned that we better teach our children and our grandchildren that keeping silent, hiding, and pretending that danger is not there is not an option. We have the right not to keep silent. And in doing so, we need to demonstrate a love of justice, fairness, and goodness by standing strong and proud. With our wits about us and allies to join, we will defeat the purveyors of hatred. We will defeat the anti-Semites and those who long to destroy our people. We will overcome the bigots and defend the most vulnerable and continue to shine the light of justice and goodness to brighten this world. On this kol nidre, this night in which we invest our time considering the power of words and the sin of silence. This holiest day of the Jewish world, we stand before God and each other. And we commit, we dedicate ourselves to doing better for others and for ourselves. Chazak, chazak v'nit chazik. Be strong, my people. Be strong and have courage. Together we will help to heal this world for all people, including us. Ken Hiratzon, and be God's will. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.